Hello, everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast where we talk about the movie characters that, well, make us feel seen. In this, our inaugural episode, we're going to look at the 2019 horror film Midsommar through the eyes of my co-host for today, the brilliant Emily Vanderberg. Plus, in our segment, One Quick Thing Before I Go, I will discuss what does and does not qualify as girl boss action cinema. That's going to come up at the end, but for now, in this moment, without further ado, let me give my guest co-host a proper introduction. She is a journalist at Fox, she's a co-creator of the narrative murder mystery podcast Arden, and she is also my friend, she is Emily Vanderberg. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, it's me, Emily Vanderwerf. <laughs> now, I was thinking when I was listing off all those things in your bio and mm-hmm. the things that that I could possibly say, I was thinking of the, I was like, is it appropriate to say a Emily Vanderwerf, executive trans woman? Yes. Is um, that? I don't like, know. I don't know that every trans woman would want that to be said about them, but I appreciate it because I am in charge of all the trans women. Like they... <laughs> Okay. I'm on I'm on the board. I'm on the executive mm. board of trans people. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the executive board of cancel culture. Those are the two things I'm on the board of. I so, was wondering yeah. who was on the board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well shit. Now I feel like we know who to direct our emails and concerns to. Yes, yes. I am uh, you know, I I this is a very weird thing that I'm sure we'll get into more, but by virtue of being a trans person who people yes. have heard of before, mm-hmm. who had a career before coming out, has had a career after coming out, um, is writing so much because she's making up for lost time. Right. Like people look at me and are like, oh, yes, of course, you are you are the trans person. And I'm like, yes. no, I'm not. There are you so are many. The trans. Yeah, I am you the are trans. the trans. <laughs> I'm always like, there's so many more. But I get like DMs from people on Twitter who are like, you know, my niece or nephew or whatever came out. Mm-hmm. And because of you, I knew a trans person. I was like, OK. <laughs> um and yes, I suppose I will. I will take us to the the purpose of our gathering here today. Um, you have brought to our doorstep the character of Danny from the film Midsommar, played by Florence Pugh. Uh, and the movie was written and directed by Ari Aster. And before we get into our whole conversation, I'm going to give a very brief synopsis for those who are either not familiar or need a little bit of a refresher on what Midsommar is about. Uh, it is it, it features a young woman named Danny, played by Pew, and we meet her in the midst of a declining relationship that is on the brink of collapse. What if I have overwhelmed him and he thinks that I just have too much baggage? Well, if that's the case, then good riddance, right? No, not if I, I went too far, if I leave too much. You didn't. He should be there when you need him. Yeah, but what if I need him too often and it becomes a chore? As she is coping with this likely dissolving relationship, she experiences an absolutely egregious family tragedy that takes the life of her sister and her parents. I was so very sorry to hear about your loss. Oh. What happened? I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I lost my parents too, so I kind of have some idea I'm sorry. No. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm going to just go to the bathroom. In the wake of this loss, she doesn't really know what to do with herself. So she sort of takes the plunge. Her her boyfriend and his friends are taking this trip um, to Sweden, where they are going to visit uh, the community of the Harga people. Christian says you've got this special week planned. 
Yeah. It's sort of a crazy nine-day festival my family's doing. Lots of pageantry and uh-huh. special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. It'll probably seem very silly, but it's like theater. Yeah, Christian says you're, you're from like a, a commune, right? Yeah, we're a, we're a small community. One of the characters, Pele, who's from Harga, he, he invites uh, all these friends of his from college along, from grad school along, to partake of the festivities with his community. And upon arriving in Harga, it is a sunny, beautiful, clean, welcoming, but even if kind of weird environment. You know, things are... Things are at the outset, you know, if not too good to be true, at least a little too sort of strange to be real. Welcome to Horga and happy midsummer. But to be good guests, they immerse themselves in the local culture and then things take a severe uh, sharp turn into the dark when um, the, the guests, these American grad students, witness a you know, to our, to our American eyes, a rather grisly and, and sort of savage ritual of the Harga people that involves an act of self-sacrifice by a, a couple of the community members. What you just is a long, long, long observed custom. Custom? Yes. It's fucked! Well, this sets things on a stranger footing, but still, it's a matter of, well, these are local customs, who are we to judge? Are you not disturbed by what we just saw? Yeah, of course I am. That was really, really shocking. I'm trying to keep an open mind, though. That's cultural. You know? So while things feel increasingly destabilized for our protagonists, and, well, some of them antagonists, depending on who you ask and which character you're talking about, um, as the story goes further and each of them either becomes inoculated to the strangeness or more put off by it, the Harga people have invited these outsiders into their community, into their homes, uh, but their true intentions start to reveal themselves over the course of the movie. And our heroine, Danny, has to make some big choices about how she feels about the Harga and their traditions and this sense of belonging that surfaces within her as she gets to know these individuals and their rituals and their ways. And does that sound sufficient as somebody who deeply mm-hmm. loves this movie? Mm-hmm. That sounds that sounds just about right. Um, this is definitely a movie about, you know, a woman who's working to get ahead in the <laughs> business that she finds herself in. It's kind of like Working Girl in that regard. <laughs> I, I I like I love a good breakup movie. I, I love a good daylight horror movie, but I also love a woman in the workplace movie. Yeah, and that's a read I hadn't heard yet, so I really like that. I literally just realized the structure of this and the structure of Working Girl are kind of the same. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? Maybe I should write that piece. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm looking forward to that piece then. So what is it about Danny? Uh, the way, uh, you know, th- this is a podcast about where we recognize ourselves in film and the like, mm-hmm. characters on screen. And I wanted to know, what is the Emily moment in the character of Danny in this tremendous Flores Pugh, per- Pugh performance? What is the Emily moment where it clicked over for you and you were like, oh, actually, this is a story of, a, of trans becoming? I mean, it was long after I'd seen the film. I saw Mm. the film 
It was one of the first screenings I attended after I had come out. I was very mm-hmm. like, I had basically gone full time. I felt very, uh, which is what we call it when um, a trans person lives as okay. their um, their true gender, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, all of the time. Mm-hmm. Like um, a couple of days after my um, my piece published on Vox where I came out, yeah. I went to a uh, doctor's appointment uh, in what we call guy mode. And like, but my name was Emily on on uh, the Lyft app, and mm. the driver was humongously rude to me and asked me uh, the question I can repeat here was he asked me <laughs> what I thought about Caitlyn Jenner, and oh, like we sure. we got into it. Um, mm. Well, he tried to get into it. I I was I was refusing, so I just was like, I'm just gonna go full time, you know. Even if mm-hmm. I even if people recognize me as a trans woman or whatever. I just want to be living my life. So I did mm-hmm. that. And this is like one of the first two or three movie screenings I went to after coming out. And I'd loved Hereditary. It was probably one of my two, three favorite movies of 2018. Mm. Um, so I was looking forward to it. I uh, really dug like Florence Pugh from other stuff I'd seen her in. So I just was like, this is going to be good. There's no way it's better than Hereditary. Right. Um I saw it and was like, I think that might have been better than Hereditary. Like, I really (laughs) loved it. I really loved it. I laughed so much. I had such a great time. My -hmm. wife, who had substantial problems with Hereditary, was like, that was a really good movie. Okay. And it felt to me like there were a lot of people like that who Mm -hmm. were not in on Hereditary, but thought Midsommar, like, really got there for them. And- it seemed like that. Yeah. And I I was the inverse. Like, I felt like Hereditary really got there for me. And then I really respected yep. Midsommar mm-hmm. as, like, an art piece. I, I saw a tweet that I thought was really perfect for how I felt, which is, like, I, I, I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I felt like I was in a museum looking at something through a piece of glass. But mm-hmm. it was very much like, ah, yes, this is good. I think that there are very good reasons for that. And I'm sure we'll dig into them later. But I found my reaction was pretty unique, which was... I really loved Hereditary, and then I really, really, really loved Midsommar mm. to the degree where I was like, is this guy going to be one of my favorite filmmakers mm. working mm-hmm. right now? It seems like the other person who had that reaction was Martin Scorsese, so <laughs> okay. he and I, you know. Texted like, about it. Yeah, we're friends. Yeah. Uh, we texted about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it felt like I just was like, okay, I think that was better than Hereditary. I really thought it was great, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then uh, three weeks later, I was listening to the score on Spotify for some reason mm-hmm. i was working or something and i just started like weeping i was like what is happening right now <laughs> um some of that was because you know i'm on synthesized estrogen and this put me in touch with my emotions more and then like yeah. it is a cliche that women cry more but uh, since i got on estrogen i cry authentically and like mm. when i cry it can feel cleansing so sometimes i'll just like let myself cry you know especially because yeah. i was working from home i was listening to this beautiful piece of music and I just like it just hit me and I was like, what is happening? I need to see this movie again. Mm-hmm. So I went and saw it in theaters again because it was out by that point. Um, and then I went and saw the director's cut, you know, mm-hmm. when that briefly played. And I've seen it on, you know, streaming a couple times since then. And what really tipped it over for me was I just was sitting there thinking about how emotionally raw Danny's journey in this movie made me mm-hmm. and I just was like well she is a woman surrounded by men who don't treat her like a woman yeah and I was like oh wait <laughs> wait that's my whole life until like 35 you yeah. know like I knew I 
I found the rituals of male bonding, I understood them intellectually. I could perform them. I got nothing out of them emotionally. I just Mm -hmm. was like, yes, you are my friends. And we are having a conversation about how women are hot. And we are going to shake hands and maybe give each other a hug and go like this on the back. And like clap each other on the back. Heavy Um, back pat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, then I, uh, you know, when I came out to myself, I started building relationships with with women of all like like all of the types of women that there are, which sounds like I'm talking about like fucking reticulated <laughs> pythons or something. <laughs> but just like, you know, I started making relationships with other trans women. I started mm-hmm. making relationships with non-binary women. I started making relationships with like ridiculously feminine women and butch women and like, mm-hmm. you know, just all kinds of women. And I just was like, this just makes intuitive sense to me. This is mm-hmm. just the thing that works for me. And I think a lot of people who really latch onto Danny's journey really latch onto that scene where all of the women are crying together. That yes, comes the late screaming in the movie. catharsis. Yes, which I think is like has become the image of this movie. Like, yeah, agreed. For better or worse, if you are, and that is that is the thing that I think marks any movie as a movie that's going to last is like if people can distill it down to one image or one mm-hmm. gif or whatever, like then that is that is a movie that's gonna that's gonna uh, remain relevant to people. But for me, it's always been the scene where they're dancing around the um, the maypole to mm-hmm. determine who's going to be the May Queen. And Danny is like one of the last four or five remaining. Yeah. And she um, is dancing next to this girl and they just start speaking the same language. And that just hits me every fucking time because... You know, um, it is a metaphor for this thing that I don't think I can adequately explain to. Mm-hmm. I've struggled to explain it to cis people because I think cis people don't realize the degree to which their cisness like reflects not just everything in their lives, but everything in the culture. Yeah. You know, like I would watch beer commercials before I came out where like the, the, the story of a beer commercial is always, God, I got to hang out with my wife. I got to go <laughs> shopping. What is this? I, I could be watching the game with my bros. And I would watch that and be like, why wouldn't you want to hang out with your wife? That seems more fun and emotionally satisfying. <laughs> like, don't you love your wife? And you're more of a, you're more of a Totino's my hungry guys. Oh, SNL yeah, yeah, yeah. Commercial. yeah, absolutely. And like, <laughs> But now, like, I I realized sort of, like, I was having that reaction because the thought of hanging out with the guys to watch the game was a thing mm-hmm. I could do. But I had to, like, emotionally gird myself for that. I had to yeah. just put on all these layers of armor, and it would just exhaust me. And now, when I hang out with my my friends who are primarily women, um, mm-hmm. you, know, prim- you know, primarily trans women, but a number of cis women as well, it's just, like, so fulfilling <laughs> this this woman that i worked with for quite a while early in my time at vox mm-hmm. um i just kind of texted her a few months ago and was like listen do i make sense to you now and she was like yeah i could never figure you out until you wow. came out and then i was like oh okay of course um and um, she had my favorite reaction to me coming out which is i I took her out for breakfast one time when i was visiting where the city where she lives and um i said 
Well, here's the thing. I'm a trans woman. And I had, by that point, I was still nervous every time I said it, but I had kind of like worked out, worked out the spiel. Mm -hmm. And here's a, here's a, here's a hint to some trans people. When you are going to come out, uh, don't do what I did and try and make like every coming out different and creatively <laughs> satisfying. Yeah. Every, because, each one yeah. is a potential narrative jumping off point. Yeah. Because like I, by the end of it, I just was like telling people in ways where they were like, what are you trying to say to me? Or they like <laughs> thought it was a bit and like, just get the talking points, get them down, just repeat them. You got to be like a politician. I imagine they were becoming increasingly elaborate promposals. Yes, they were basically. <laughs> uh, but I, I said to her, um, you know, I'm trans, blah, blah, blah. And then she looked down for a second and like it was literally like two seconds she said oh yes that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) okay we've got to take a quick break but when we come back emily explains what it's like to go through puberty a second time so stick around hi it's me Dave Hill from before here to tell you about my brand new show on Maximum Fun, the Dave Hill Good Time Hour, which combines my old Maximum Fun show, Dave Hill's podcasting incident with my old radio show, the damn Dave Hill show into one new futuristic program from the future. If you like delightful conversation with incredible guests, technical difficulties, and actual phone calls from real-life listeners, you've just hit a street called easy. I'm also joined by my incredible co-host, the boy criminal Chris Gersbeck. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Dave. It's really great. That's enough, Chris. And New Jersey chicken rancher Des. Say hi, Des. Hey, Dave. The Dave Hill Good Time Hour. Brand new episodes every Friday on Maximum Fun. Plus, the show's not even an hour. It's 90 minutes. Take that, stupid rules. We nailed it. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. We are talking to Emily Vanderwerf about the Ari Aster film Midsommar. So what I, I was wondering about with getting into sort of like the you know, the sort of conceit of this podcast is talking to people about like a formative time that they saw themselves on screen. And what is a a conversation I've had with you just conversationally is how like you considering yourself in like kind of like a queer adolescence. Like I've heard you be like, I'm a teenage girl. (laughs) And I think you're a wonderful, popular teen girl. Thank you. First of all, I think you would make a great um, like click leader in like a mm-hmm. jawbreaker setting what a fucking tearjerker yes oh oh my god yes i would um, <laughs> you absolutely would i would be i mean i it, it pains me to to say i would be tracy flick if i were mm. you know like i would be <laughs> i would have that energy some people say i'm an overachiever but i think they're just jealous my mom always tells me i'm different you know special and if you look at all the things I've accomplished so far, I think you'd have to agree. And so, but the only reason I ask that is because, like, in a sense, like, if, you know, viewing your, living your life in terms of, like, a sort of adolescence in, in a respect, mm-hmm. this is one, this is, this did arrive at that formative <laughs> stage of life in this formative moment. This is concurrent with yes. somebody else who I could talk to be like, oh, I saw hellraiser when i was 12 and i was like ashley lawrence is me like Mm -hmm. this is this is very much that kind of analog too which i think is an interesting thing to graft onto like the mid-30s of one's life and yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i I mean you can expound on that with a thought or i can follow up with a more concrete question um i went the movie that really made me come out uh which i've talked about on another podcast um movies that 
made me, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember. Uh, is uh, this movie Blockers, which is a, a teen sex comedy about teen yes! girls. And I teen watched girls. that. I watched that movie and was just like, oh, I'm really identifying with these these teen girl characters. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, what's what's fun about that one is I, I started out like identifying with the super identifying with the teen lesbian being like, oh, yeah. this was me in high school. And now I super identify with the really extremely straight girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> But she gets to wear a really pretty dress. Like, that's just the <laughs> thing about it. Um, but yeah, I... So there is this sort of term within the trans community that I'm going to try to, um, you know, not uh, not disrespect the people who don't use hormones to transition because many of Mm. us don't. And that's a totally Mm. wonderful choice. Um, But those of us who do transition with hormones go through what we call second puberty. Mm -hmm. And like there is this thing where I don't want to say your brain gets frozen because it Mm -hmm. doesn't. But there is a big part of your brain especially when you are a binary trans person such as myself, which means that you were born in, in assigned one gender at birth and then your actual gender is is directly across the aisle. Yes. Um, when you are a binary trans person and you be you when you reach puberty, some part of your brain is like, this is this is wrong. Mm-hmm. What is happening? And for some people mm-hmm. that is just an intense experience. I have a friend yeah. who transitioned very young. And she says that when she hit like 13, it was like there was a megaphone shouting in her ear being like, this is not right. And for me, I just started shutting down vital systems. You know, Mm. I just was like, I just was shutting off parts of myself. I was trying so hard to like do it right. But Mm -hmm. because I was so like intent on, you know, being a being a good teen boy, even though I was living basically, you know, my friends were girls and all these things. Um, And everybody assumed I was gay. (laughs) It turns out. Same. Same here. Um, um, I was not doing the adolescent thing of rebelling. You know, Mm -hmm. I was not smoking a cigarette or Mm -hmm. having a beer or just like, you know, kissing the wrong people. I was so intent on having the right life. Like I remember Mm. I dated this girl who was kind of a bad girl my senior Mm. year. And my mom was like, are you sure you want to be dating her? And I was like, you're right. I don't mom. I'm going to break up with her immediately. And she (laughs) was like, she was like, we had a really good connection. Like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the Emily who knew she was Emily would have been like, no, fuck you, mom. I'm going to just like, I'm just going to kiss this girl all over the place. And there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Um, (laughs) But then when you get on hormones, uh, whatever age you do that at the part of your brain that sort of got locked down is like mm. oh hello okay hello. right this is how it works and that part of your brain is frozen at puberty yeah so you have to go through what we call second puberty mm. um which is not like you know exactly the same because now you're an adult you've gone through some of the emotional experience of that it seems to be hyper accelerated but yes mm. when i saw midsummer there was a part of my brain that was very much a 14 year old girl and was like mm-hmm. yes that is how it is. You go to the place and you meet the girls and you kill the boys. That's just how it goes. <laughs> well, and, and, and the, the question that I wanted to, to put on top of that was, you know, not like you said, writing, you know, we were talking earlier, talking about writing so much because you have this sort of like playing catch up mm-hmm. from the the fully fully formed emotional experience you Mm -hmm. wanted to have in this world versus the one you had to compartmentalize for so long Mm -hmm. how does i wonder like 
watching the watching a movie like a midsomar seeing a character like danny and seeing the possibility in that kind of character identification how does that impact you as a creative like how does it affect your process to see the ways in which you relate to characters in a fully unrestrained way that you weren't really allowed to before as somebody who creates characters yeah. for for recreation and for their living uh, the answer is i honestly don't know the yeah, start okay. of my the start of my coming out journey I mean, my coming out journey is this thing that happened in fits and starts. When mm-hmm. I was three, I said, I'm a girl. It went mm-hmm. poorly. You know, it, 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 people were not happy about that because, you know, they had ordered a boy from the catalog mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. they got some faulty merchandise. Um, <laughs> and uh, again, in adolescence, you know, like I said, my my best girlfriend or my best friend who was this girl, like she knew me as a girl. I knew her, you know, as her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um and you know then that went poorly (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. i had this long period of just like edging up to coming out and then not coming out and edging up to coming out and then not coming out um and the but the thing that finally really kick-started it was i started work on writing this script that had a 13 year old girl as the protagonist Mm -hmm. um it was a it was a bunch of characters surrounding her that i'd been trying to do something with for a long time literally since i was like 12. Oh, wow. And um, I just could not find the center for it. And then one day I was driving through Minnesota, which is very close to where I grew up in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And just this girl fell into my brain. And I was like, oh, this is the center of this group of characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And instantly everything about that world made sense. And my wife, who is my writing partner, I called her up and I was like, this is this thing. And she was like, yes, it is. So I started writing that. <laughs> and instantly my gender dysphoria like like decreased and i spent you know so much time like so much mental energy was spent on being like god i wish i was a girl you know (laughs) yeah yeah um and which is turns out is a thing that cis men don't think about themselves so if you a cis man are thinking about that all the time you can my dms are open on twitter um (laughs) that does remind me of that amazing tweet you posted about the the time you looked up mm -hmm. whether or not you were trans on reddit Yes, I <laughs> this is right around the time I was writing the script because I used to go to um, trans re- subreddits and just like mm-hmm. I'd look at especially trans timelines. I'd look at the people who, you know, started out very kind of like vacant, empty men, vacant, mm-hmm. lots of men. And then yeah. you see the ne- the picture next to them of this like thriving woman, even if they are, you know, um, even if they're only a few months in. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they're vi- they were very old when they started their journey, you just see them and you're like, oh, of course, that's who they are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I would look at that. I would look at like ask transgender and just like be like, there was this one post that was like, am I trans if was the subject line. And then you clicked on it and it said yes. And I <laughs> slammed my computer shut. Which wow. is a, that post was later deleted because there are situations in which you might think you're trans, but you're suffering from severe body dysmorphia or some other things. Mm-hmm. But in general, if you were sitting there constantly fantasizing about like a life that is seemingly not yours and putting air quotes around that, um, mm-hmm, then, mm-hmm. you know, look into that, pal. Um, yeah. DMs just open. Sit up, give it a think. Yeah. But uh, I started writing this story uh, about a 13-year-old girl, and my gender dysphoria was alleviated. And, of Mm -hmm. course, the conclusion I drew was I need to write more female protagonists. 
exists. <laughs> like, yes. that's what this is. Yeah. And what I should have drawn was, oh, it's so easy to think like a 13-year-old girl. I have no <laughs> trouble with this. You know? Wow, um, I can really just get in here. Yeah. I just was like, you know what? Her emotions make sense to me in a way that a lot of <laughs> others don't. And like, that was really, that was the summer of 2016. I started work on that. It is one of those projects that has continued to have a life like, uh, hopefully someday it becomes a reality. But like mm-hmm. that journey of working on that script, I spent probably six months getting it to the state it was in when we started submitting it to various contests, you know, and it was kind of frozen at that point in time. And then my gender dysphoria came back worse than ever because I was no longer in a space where I could think about being a 13 year old right. girl. But yeah, I, I just, that process you know, and now everything I write has uh, women at the center, often trans women at the center. That was mm-hmm. another thing I noted was that long before I came out, when I would do writing, I tried to like put trans women in everything I wrote because I was just like, they're just neat. You know, they're just yeah, cool. We, they just, yeah. yeah. And yeah, they just, they deserve to be here too. Yeah, exactly. And they would always be like supporting characters. I remember I used to have a manager and we had this uh, script that was um, my former writing partner and I, we had this script that had a trans woman character in a supporting role. And he was like, why is she trans? And I was like, why not? Why not? And like, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was really like when you were putting a trans character in stuff, like that was mm-hmm. really this, this thing that, that people sort of asked you about. And yet I kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And so I found myself more through my own creative work than I did through others' creative work, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason that since I've come out, I've really struggled with criticism. Well, that and that reminds me too a lot of a fairly recent uh, essay, personal essay that was published on Vulture um, by a trans writer, uh, a trans woman who's like, I never like saw myself in in in. Women. Then I saw then I saw Carmela Soprano, mm-hmm. and it suddenly unlocked this potential for like her kind of her unhappiness in life and her struggle it suddenly it became a relatable thing yeah. to connect to this character and i think that i think that's a really interesting thing with Ari Aster that you've been able to to do with Midsomar and it mm-hmm. seems like enjoying her hereditary as you did as well and you brought up earlier that question of like authorship who who mm-hmm. is who gets to tell the stories he seems to do a very good job like he wrote a very effective for you and people you know trans story but without having to be like you know i'm gonna be a cis white guy who writes a trans film right hereditary is for a lot of trans guys i know not all but a lot of them a story that really resonates with them Hmm. because you can read that step film as a story about a uh a trans masculine demon who just keeps working until he gets the body he wants Uh uh uh-huh okay yeah yeah wow but yeah it's um it is a there is a lot of gender shit in there and i know some trans people some very good trans friends of mine think that ari aster is like sticking his finger in a wound he doesn't you know shouldn't have access to mm-hmm. and i don't i respect that point of view i don't agree i have talked with ari aster about this like i interviewed him for an hour um a couple years ago um around midsummer and mm-hmm. i just was like all these trans people love your movies what do you think about that and he was like mm-hmm. i'm very honored i'm very honored and then when he was thinking about where his point of view perhaps intersects with ours it was like i feel very disconnected from like the things that I'm supposed to feel as a straight white man. I feel an alienation from that. And Mm -hmm. that is where, um, you know, I think maybe this resonance comes in Mm -hmm. and like, um, I, I totally, I totally, I totally see how like that, 
both plays out in Midsommar and also how I relate to that so intensely. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Emily to write some Midsommar fan fiction. So stay tuned. From the internationally acclaimed creators of Who Shot Ya comes the movie podcast, Maximum Film. Starring producer and film festival programmer, Drea Clark, as a woman bound by passion. I saw this eight months ago on the festival circuit, and I loved it. Film critic Alonzo Duralde as a man corrupted by greed. Why watch one Hallmark Christmas movie when I can watch seven? And comedian Ifiwadiwe as a man protecting a love that society simply won't accept. I think Pacific Rim is a perfect movie. And if you can't accept that, then I want you out of my life. From the makers of the movie podcast, Who Shot Ya? comes Maximum Film. That's right. We changed the name of our show to Maximum Film. But don't worry. We're still a movie review show that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. So tune in to Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. We are talking to Emily Vanderwerf about Danny from Midsommar. And Emily, I think what I, you know, having touched on the like, the sort of like rapid adolescence phase of, mm-hmm. of your, your cotillion, your debut as mm-hmm. Emily, and, and into the, the present moment and talking about seeing yourself more in, in cis female characters than you have in trans ones that have been generally written by cis men mm-hmm. themselves. Do you see more, are you, are you finding more characters that are trans women that you're able to actually empathize with on screen as opposed to the, the cis avatars that you would have had to graft to, you know, previously? Are we, are we getting better or is it still like, no, the best thing I've seen is what I've got on paper and what I'm writing myself? I mean, that's a tricky question because um, the creative side of me is like, yeah, I, I, this is, you know, I wrote a trans character in season two of my podcast, Arden, and mm-hmm. that I'm really, I really relate to her, but like I mm-hmm. wrote her, you know? <laughs> <So> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird, cause it's like, oh, I, but that's also kind of me. Like I put a lot of myself into her, even if she yeah. has very different circumstances from me. Um, like her wonderful trans himbo boyfriend. <laughs> As we wrap up our conversation about Danny and Midsommar, what do you hope happens to her after the events of Midsommar? Or what do you think is most realistically going to happen? Or where do you see her now? Think of this as your own little kind of fan fiction moment. Um, I have read so much Midsommar fanfic. It is just... <laughs> and like, here's the thing. Most of it is set like around Yule, around like Christmas mm-hmm. time. And it's like mm. about Danny being like, married to Pele or whatever the Harga call that. And like, they're, they're going to have a baby and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's swell. I think that's great. I love that for Danny. <laughs> I would, if I had been the May queen, I would love that for me. You know, uh-huh. I think uh, Pele is a very nice boy and um, I would like to hold his hand. He seems, yeah, he seems very soft. He, he seems very sensitive. He seems like he understands everything. And also that he's really good at finding people for his family to murder. Like mm-hmm. he does. He's very good at that job. And also like he brought in the new May queen slash member of the Harga. So like, um, I feel like he gets a bonus. Like he probably gets, <laughs> he probably gets his photo up on a wall. There somewhere. have to be incentives 
incentives for that. There have to be incentives yeah. for that. Do you think they have like a like a punch card when you bring in a main queen? If you get ten, you you get ten. You get a you get a boba drink for free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, who Danny is outside? I think that like I think that she will become very quickly stifled by this community that she finds herself in because she Interesting. has okay. she has no way to escape it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it will be a place that she loves living for maybe even up to like five years. But there mm-hmm. will come a point when she has you know born a child there and like all this stuff mm-hmm. when she's like, oh right. I have to do this all the time. Yeah, forever. One of my dreams is that in however many years uh, Ari Aster and Florence Pugh come back to this and there's a new story about some kids going to this compound and then Florence Pugh is just there and we sort Mm -hmm. of see what's happened to her. I, having grown up in a repressive religious tradition and having seen so many women who just wanted community there, find it and then like slowly become enmeshed in it in ways that were really toxic because it was a toxic community, I can Mm -hmm. see what's happening. But Mm -hmm. I think the first little bit after we see is, you know, she and Pele hook up, you know, she is welcomed and greeted and has a great time here. Yeah, it's a honeymoon period. But at some point she has to live with the guilt of everything that happened of the, you know, coming here. And I think that that is going to be very difficult for her. Um, I do wonder, you know, that friend we see her talking to on the phone, Mm -hmm. just like, Danny obviously told that girl she was going to Sweden. Like, yeah, like, does that girl come to find her? Is this like a rescue mission? Yeah, like, Danny must have other friends outside of this this group of guys that she, mm-hmm. you know, seems to hang out with a lot. And um, it is this uh, interesting question of, like, how, like, how much is she just going to be, like, part of the Harga now? Because the end of the film implies quite a bit. But if you, like, think about it for five seconds, you're like, oh, okay, here's the ways it might not happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I really am fascinated by this character and would love to see more stuff with her. So, um, uh, yeah, I would love to see that 30 Years Forward movie. I'd like to see the story about when she transitioned when she was three um, and still, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, ended up, like, hanging out with guys all the time. I, you know, I would just like to see a movie about like, um, because the thing that I latched latched onto in this movie was this idea of being a woman surrounded by men who are just constantly Mm -hmm. talking about boy stuff and seem to regard you as one of the guys in like ways both good and bad. I would watch a movie of just like their trip to Sweden where she has to listen to them talk about like how much they want to bang some blonde ladies. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know it happened. Yeah. Like. There, the thing that is scariest in this movie, at least for uh, uh, myself as a trans woman, is just the casual cruelty that men display towards women when they don't know women are around. And mm-hmm. um, that was most of my life. And mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. that is a horror that Ari Aster tapped into without quite realizing he was. So uh, I will say I would like to thank you for coming on today. You're and welcome. is there anything... You would like to plug perhaps the, the new service of the newsletter. What what else have the, have you got going on that people can listen to? Arden. Yeah, uh, you can uh, read my writing at Vox.com, where I am the critic at large. Um, you can uh, find everything I do at Twitter.com slash EmilyVDW. Uh, you can find my newsletter, which has both free and paid editions. The paid edition, you get uh, uh, pieces from freelancers, which I edit, and avatar recaps, which will soon become Fleabag recaps, which will then become Cowboy Bebop recaps. Oh wow! Um, All right, that's my that's my schedule for the rest of the year. Um, you and that can, doesn't include everything else you're doing. No, it doesn't. Uh, the free the free <laughs> the free newsletter comes out every Monday. Anybody can get that. It's Emily. It's uh, letterdrop.com slash at 
the at symbol Emily VDW. Um, please uh, listen to my uh, audio fiction podcast, Arden. I'm extremely proud of it. It is a show about uh, two women solving cold cases, uh, trying not to fall in love. If you like true crime, uh, you'll probably like it because it's uh, sort of a, a deconstruction of that genre. If you like Shakespeare, you'll probably like it because I'm not going to explain why, but I promise you will. Um, mm-hmm. And also the the second season is probably the most personal thing I've ever written. Um, it is about... Uh, uh, basically it's about, um, a, a woman and her trans ex, um, sort of circling the drain together. And, uh, I promise you this show is a comedy, <laughs> <laughs> but also like, I've listened to it. It is also like we do the, will they, won't they tropes, you know, we do, we do the fun stuff, but we also have some really interesting ruminations on trauma and things like that um and then you know you can uh check out my book uh monsters of the week the complete critical companion to the x-files which uh please buy the paperback because the hardcover is under my dead name um i think that's everything i have going i have a whole bunch of other stuff that is like in the works so in the works a lot of other stuff in the works well that's a great that's a great primer on emily to get you all started out there and emily thank you so much for joining us you're welcome That was Emily Vanderwerf. Please check out her work. She is is truly wonderful. There are episodes of Arden available to be streamed now, including the entirety of season one. But now, at this moment, it is the time for one quick thing before I go. There has been a recent wave of films that could all be lumped by some into the category of, you know, quote-unquote, girl boss action movie. These movies are very slick, they're well-produced, think lots of bisexual lighting, something like Atomic Blonde or Luc Besson's Anna. And when I read an article recently that touched upon this trend and cited three recent films, it included Gunpowder Milkshake, Jolt, and Kate. Three movies are sort of exemplar of the girl boss action trend um, being uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, starring... A wonderful ensemble, among them Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, Michelle Yeoh, Gina Carano, Angela Bassett. Uh, then you have Jolt, which is really just like a swaggering um, R-rated comedy in the drag of an action movie that stars Kate Beckinsale being charisma all over the place. And then you have Kate, which stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a woman trying to, to outrun the poison coursing through her body and complete a mission of vengeance before it takes her life. And I think, first of all, that I think actually, I think my issue with this is um, grouping all of those movies together. And I think this gets at something where there's a sort of misunderstanding of the action economy that as an action devotee, as a, as a proud member of action Twitter, uh, it's a wonderful place to spend time on the internet. I stan and I root for him. And what I want to see more of, in fact, is a sort of mid to low level economy of action movies that stars women that doesn't necessarily remind me of Atomic Blonde or doesn't necessarily remind me of Wanted or Salt. But that feels more like the Mila Jovovich strain of B-tier action movies that are, are very successful in playing within their bounds and Walking more what I see in the tradition of those DTV, direct-to-TV action movies of the 90s, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal or Dolph Lundgren, I think the the parody I want to see in action cinema in Hollywood is, you know, I do want big-budget spectaculars. I, I do want fancy, glossy things that star Shirley's Theron and, and things like The Old Guard. But I also want a proliferate field of just okay 
action movies with extremely charismatic leads where they themselves become a cottage industry that you just show up for. I think that is exactly the level of churn, the la- exactly the level of movie that I want to see sort of in the churn from streamers, where we can make someone like a Mary Elizabeth Winstead a household name in ass kicking, where we can continue to to give Kate Beckinsale more and better options. Obviously, she comes from the lineage of Underworld to keep doing that incredible swaggering scenery chewing thing that Kate Beckinsale is so good at. These things don't need to be a list movies, and in fact, they don't even necessarily need to be novel stories. These movies don't need to be great or thrilling or interesting stories. So I don't think these are necessarily, I I think Gunpowder Milkshake hues into the girl boss action camp, but I don't actually think Kate or Jolt satisfy either of those criteria. And in fact, I would like to see women have the opportunity to lean into genre pulp where you can have Frank Grillo or Scott Adkins or Jean-Claude Van Damme making dick jokes aplenty about who's the most virile man in an action ensemble like The Expendables, I think women, too, can have their fun in that way, where they get to have blue humor and they also get to make jokes about how, like, men are always underestimating us because it's the same spirit of winking and looking at the camera of what we've been seeing at the DTV action level for time immemorial and it's a rich tradition and it's a wonderful tradition and assessing these movies that play in the sandbox that more resembles the jcvd camp is not the same as assessing a movie that is in the terminator camp you cannot compare these things but we need to stop seeing that category of action as somehow less valid and we need to embrace the joy of the remix we need to embrace the pulp we need to embrace the broadest common denominator and you know possibly a bit at times regressive humor that comes with these things because it's part of the joy and the texture of action if we truly mean that we do not want to see the same kind of spectacle over and over and over again at a marvel level and we want something different and we want a new texture then we need to learn and Moss, how to embrace these kinds of genre and action pictures, too, because those are the workhorses and those are the ones that you're getting 50 options of a year and you have to wade through the bin to find the treasures, but they're well worth it when you commit the time. And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash FeelingScenePod. You can also send us an email at feeling seen at maximumfun.org and if you want to follow me i am jor crew on twitter that's j-o-r-c-r-u our theme music is by andrew epen our producer is casey o'brien our senior producers are kevin ferguson and laura swisher this is a production of maximum fun MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.